Why did God have to become like me in order to save me? Why did God have to become like me in order to save me? Why did Jesus have to leave heaven, come to earth, uh, God in the flesh, hello? Like, why did, like, there are so many other ways, like, we, we know what God should do. Hello, anybody ever question, like, God, your plans are weird. Why, why not do it this way or that way? Like, why did God have to become like me in order to save me? And we're going to be reading today from Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse number five, and we'll just kind of read through a few scriptures at a time. We're going to begin in verses five through eight in Hebrews chapter two. It's on the screen for you this morning. And it says this, for he did not subject angels, the world to come about which we are speaking. Remember last week, we talked about this comparison and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus was greater than the angels. He's a greater messenger. Verse six, but someone has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you think of him or a son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while. Watch, it's talking about Jesus. You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. In other words, Jesus left heaven, came to earth, became a man, God in flesh for a little while, lower than the angels. But then you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've put everything in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. In these verses, the, the writer is saying, God demonstrated his love for us in this that he sent Jesus from heaven to earth to become a man, God in the flesh, lower than the angels just for a little while. Verse nine, but we, we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of his suffering, death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for, what's that word? It says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. That means you and I, good news, friend, you are everyone. Jesus tasted to taste, to experience, to partake of. He tasted death for everyone, for all of us. In other words, Jesus came to earth to suffer and die so that you didn't have to suffer and die, so that I didn't have to suffer and die. He took that punishment upon himself. And I'm talking not just about a physical death, but about spiritual death. He, he, he tasted death and suffering so that we don't have to. God has always had this contract with man called a covenant. He's always had this covenant with man. And it started with the first man and woman. We know them as Adam and Eve in the garden. And the covenant seemed pretty easy for them, right? Like, hey, there's all this good stuff in the garden, all of these good trees. Like you can have anything you want except for that tree. Pretty easy, right? 
Parents, you know what happens when you tell your kids like, hey, you can do all of these things, but don't do this one thing. As soon as you turn your back, what are they going to do? The one thing. Come on. And so there was this contract. There was this covenant with Adam and Eve like, hey, obey me and you will be blessed. They broke the covenant. So generations go on and God makes a new contract with Abraham the father of nations, the patriarch of faith. And God says, look, I, by the way, Abraham has no children. And God tells him, look up at the stars in the sky. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like almost a hundred. I got no kids. But God says, if you will obey me, I will bless you. There's a, a, a connection between obedience and blessing. And, and so God makes this covenant with Abraham and the covenant is, is through generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's, it's being uh, upheld on, on the side of God and on the side of Abraham and his descendants. And then all of a sudden the Israelites go into slavery in Egypt and years go by and years go by, they're in captivity and Moses leads the people out and God institutes another covenant with man. It's known as the old, the old Testament, the old covenant, the 10 commandments, the commandments of God. And watch the same type of thing that God told Adam and Eve and Abraham. If you obey me, you'll be blessed. He passed on to the Israelites. If you'll obey these commandments, there will be blessing. If you disobey, things are going to get hard for you. And again and again and again, what we see is that God wants a contract, a covenant with man. Why? So that he can lord it over man? Not at all. So that he can be in relationship with them. Contract after contract after contract. And guess what happens? Generation after generation after generation did what was right in their own eyes, the Bible says. In other words, they didn't follow the terms of the agreement. And can I tell you this morning that that's not just the story of Adam and Eve. It's not just the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's not just the story of the Israelites. It's your story. It's my story. That God wants a contract, a covenant, an agreement. Obey me and I'll bless you. But what happens is our, our sinful nature gets in the way. That we mess up the contract, that we break the terms of the agreement. Now, I just used a word that, that maybe you haven't heard in a little while. It was sin. And I want to define that for us today in a very simple way. Sin, churchy word. Uh, sometimes we think of that and we think, oh, here comes the fire and brimstone part of the sermon. Uh, here's, here's how we're going to define sin. Any thought, attitude, or action contrary to God's will and his perfect character of love. Thought, attitude, or action. Look, there are three ways we can mess up. Come on. And what's the standard? Perfect, love. How many of y'all broke the standard today? I know I have, right? We, we're, gonna, we're gonna have thoughts that are contrary. We're gonna have actions that are contrary. We're gonna say things that are contrary. Does that mean that we just, oh, I'm just gonna mess up and keep making? No, that doesn't mean that. It means that we're, we're trying to search out scripture and apply it to our lives so that God can transform us. Are you all with me this morning? Say, yeah. 
I know I'm using words that are hard like theology and doctrine and sin. Now let me give you one more word. This one's really good, okay? Some of you are gonna be like, I ain't never heard that word, okay? But it's a, it's a very important word. It's a word that has a lot of impact for our lives. The word is propitiation. Say that word, propitiation. Propitiation, it's, it's a word that is incredibly important for us. Here's why. You had a debt that you couldn't pay for yourself. I had a debt that I couldn't pay for myself. I needed a propitiation, which is just a sacrifice or to make covering satisfaction or a payment or appeasement for sin. Are y'all with me this morning? In other words, propitiation is to make things right. Because the gospel is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need propitiation. We need someone to make things right. Because I can't make things right on my own. I'll mess it up. I'll, I'll, I'll break the terms of the agreement. Have y'all ever had a bill that you couldn't pay for yourself and somebody else stepped in and paid it? And you were like, oh man, I'm so thankful. Some of y'all don't know what it's like to be poor apparently because I've been had a bill that I couldn't pay. I remember a time in our lives when we were newly married where I had some credit card debt from college. Okay, this is a disclaimer. Don't get credit cards unless you're financially responsible and know what to do. Kids don't do it. Okay, I had some credit card debt and we were trying to dig our way out of debt and it felt like we just couldn't get any traction. Can I tell you, we had, we had a family member, not in my family, because my family poor. In Laura's family, she, she got money. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Her grandpa actually stepped in and helped pay my credit card debt so that I could go back to college. It was incredible. You know how thankful I was? And I mean, we're just talking about like, you know, a few thousand dollars, several thousand dollars, Okay. That's, that's pretty awesome when somebody pays that kind of debt for you. Anybody ever just happy when somebody gets the lunch tab? Come on, somebody. All right. Right? Like when somebody pays for something for us, we have a, a thankfulness that flows from that. Can I tell you, though, greater than any credit card debt payment was the payment for our sin that we couldn't pay. Propitiation. Propitiation to make things right. Come on, I feel the Lord in here today. To make things right. In other words, your relationship with God was broken because of Adam and Eve's inability to uphold the contract. But because of Jesus making a way, because of the propitiation sacrifice, we have access to God. God said, I'll take care of both sides of the contract since y'all can't. Hello? If you had a mortgage or a car note and you're late on it, it would be like uh, the mortgage company is like, okay, we'll just pay it for you and you can just have it. Like, I know, I know you can't make it. You're covered. Come on. But like a thousand million times better propitiation. 
making things right that otherwise would not be right. So why did the Holy Son of God have to suffer? I wanna give you three reasons why Jesus' suffering was essential today. I'm gonna give them to you quick. Some of y'all are like, man, how many sermons is this? Like double teaching. All right, come on, here we go. I'm gonna go with it since you told me to. Suffering was essential for Jesus for three reasons I wanna give you today. Number one, for our sin to be dealt with by a loving and just God. Look, there's this uh, kind of paradox in scripture that God is both loving and just. Mercy and wrath. Come on, parents. You love your kids, but when they mess up, there's gotta be punishment. There's gotta be justice. And so there's uh, the number one primary reason why Jesus had to suffer was so that a loving God could deal justly with our sin. Listen to what it says in verse 10. Verse verse 10 in Hebrews chapter two. It says, it was fitting for him. It was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the originator of their salvation through, what's that word? Suffering. Why did a perfect and holy God have to suffer? Why why did uh, Jesus leave heaven and come to earth and suffer on our account? It says it was fitting for a God that hates sin, but loves people. It was fitting because of his love. It was fitting because of his mercy. It was fitting because of his justice. This paradox, a God that loves people, but hates sin. What do we do with a God like that? And then he goes on to say this this other word in this verse, the originator of their salvation through sufferings. Now this word originator in the original Greek is archegos, archegos, okay? Now, we don't do a lot of Greek here because we don't speak Greek, but the New Testament was written in Greek and there's significance in this word. This word means a trailblazer. This word means a pioneer. Come on, Jesus was a pioneer. He was a trailblazer. In other words, archegos, it's like somebody that starts a city so that other people may follow. Catch that part. It's not just starting something for yourself. It's starting something. It's initiating something so that others may follow. It said to bring many sons to glory. It's starting a city so that others could come. It's starting a business so that others could enjoy it. It's starting a church so that others might find Jesus. It's archegos. It's originator, a a pioneer. It's someone that starts something so that others might benefit. Jesus started something, y'all. He started something for you and I. And then it goes on to say, verse 11, both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, sanctifies, another word that we could talk a lot about, to be made holy, okay? And those who are sanctified, that's you and I, to be set apart, are all from one Father. For this reason, he's not ashamed to call them brothers or sisters. What? 
saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I'll sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. In other words, it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. Think about that for a moment. Look, y'all, you don't have to raise your hand because they might be in the room. But y'all ever had a crazy family member that you were a little embarrassed about? Come on. Some of you might be the crazy family. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I remember in middle school, our oldest son, Colin's here, and he's in sixth grade now, and he's kind of cool now. You know what I'm saying? And in middle school, I remember getting dropped off at school or at baseball practice or whatever, and like ducking down in the car and just trying to slide out the door because you didn't want to be seen with your family. It didn't matter if they were cool or not. They weren't cool, right? Now, I'm a pretty cool dad, so I don't know what his problem is, but... but we, we know what it is to have that family member that we don't necessarily want to be seen with. How many of you know Jesus is more than cool? He's perfect. But even so, he says, I'm not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. I'm not ashamed to do that. I'm not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. And he, what he does is he, he deals with the biggest obstacle and fear in mankind. And the fear is death. It says, verse 14, since the children share in his flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same so that through death, he might destroy the power of death. Come on now, this is the gospel, y'all. Through his death and suffering, he destroyed death and suffering. He took on the biggest obstacle, the biggest fear in, in humankind, the fear of dying. Second reason why suffering was essential for Jesus. Number two, you're going to like this. For heaven to become a home for all of us. Without number one, number two is not possible. Come on. If our sin isn't dealt with, then heaven is not our home. If sin is not dealt, dealt with, we have a just God. A just God has to deal with sin in order for heaven to be made our home. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us. Come on, let that sink in for a moment. It was for people like you and I that Jesus went through all this trouble. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Did Jesus brush his teeth? Yeah. Did he comb his hair? Yes. Did he take a bath? He entered into every detail of human life. And then it says, when he came before God as a high priest, oh, we're going to get to that later in this book, to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all for himself. He would have all, oh man, come on, let this sink into your heart. All the pain, all the testing, and he would be able to help where help was needed. Come on, is anyone thankful for a savior that all the pain, all the sin, all the suffering, he, didn't stay, he doesn't stand as a high priest before God and say, yeah, I can't relate to that, I don't know. He understands because he went through every detail of human life. And it says that because of this, he can give help where help is needed. Come on. Some of y'all need help today. 
We need help. And Jesus is able to give help where help is needed because he's already experienced it all. He walked the road of of humankind. And listen to some of the things that he went through in order to guide us through. Ooh, that'll preach. There are some things that he went through in order to guide us through. I'm gonna go super fast. They're gonna be on the screen. Scorned for being born to an unwed mother. Yep, he dealt with that. Born in a stable, worst of conditions. Y'all thought you were poor, come on. Born to poor parents. Had his life threatened as a baby. Was the cause of unimaginable sorrow. Was moved and shifted about as a baby. Grew up in a despicable place, Nazareth. People thought Nazareth was like, ooh, Nazareth, right? Had his father die during his youth. Come on, some of these you might be able to relate to. Had to support his mothers and his brothers. Had a time where he didn't even have a home. Grieved over one of his best friends dying. Hated and opposed by religious leaders. Was charged with being insane. Was charged as being demon-possessed. Was opposed by his own family. Well, come on. Was rejected, misunderstood, and opposed. Was betrayed by close friends. Judas, come on, Judas. Was left alone, rejected, and forsaken by all of his friends. Was tried before the high court on the charges of treason. Was tortured and executed by crucifixion. Held every sickness and death on the cross. Come on, Jesus, been through some things. That might just be a starter list of the things that he endured. But because he walked that road, because he experienced it all for himself, I just need you to get it in your heart today that he can offer help where help is needed. And that he's made heaven a permanent home for us because of that. Third reason why suffering was essential for Jesus. In order for him to relate to your sufferings. In order for him to relate to our sufferings. In other words, Jesus came and he stooped really low. A little lower than the angels. Jesus, creator of the world. Left heaven, left his throne, left the glory of heaven and stepped into humanity. He stooped low so that he could relate to our sufferings. Through his sufferings, he not only became the perfect savior, watch this, but he became the perfect sympathizer. We need not just a perfect savior, but a perfect savior that can perfectly sympathize with the help that we need on a day-to-day basis. Think about this for a moment. If you had somebody that has never been through anything, they, they hadn't really experienced loss. They've kind of had things easy. They haven't really dealt with sickness or or loss of a loved one or addiction or, or anxiety or fear or loneliness. How many of you know those people don't make the best listeners? They can't sympathize because they've never walked where you've walked. They've never dealt with the things that you've dealt with. So 
Those are the kind of people that we tend to not want to take our problems to. Hello? I just need you to get a clear, real picture of the Savior today that's not an unrelatable, far away God that doesn't get what you're going through. They can't help where help is needed. He's not a far away God, but he is a, a perfect savior that can perfectly sympathize with the help that you need. Hey, listen, lock in right now because as, I, as I'm saying this, I'm seeing pain wash over people. I'm seeing hurt wash over people. I'm seeing struggle wash over people. And there are things that you've been carrying that you've just felt like, man, I got to carry this. I just got to carry this myself because look, God, God doesn't really understand. God, God doesn't really care. God doesn't really have sympathy for what I'm dealing with. Or, or maybe you just feel like, man, if I don't carry it, nobody will. And I just want you to hear this morning that there's a perfect savior that can perfectly sympathize and that can help where help is needed. That he wants to help. Watch this. We, we go to people for help and, and look, they can't sympathize and, and they probably have their own struggles. He's not just like off in the distance waiting on us to come to him. He actually stepped down into humanity to come to us so that we had access to him. Are you all with me this morning? He is a perfect savior. So when you have loneliness, you can run to him. When you feel betrayed, you can run to him. When you feel abandoned, you can run to him. When you feel discouraged, you can run to him. When you feel frustrated, you can run to him. When you feel hurt, you can run to him. When you feel like nobody else cares in the world, can I tell you where you need to run today? We've got to run to Jesus because he can perfectly sympathize with our pain.